All right. Well, I'm so grateful to be here with everybody. If you're wondering where Scott is, he's out braving the wilderness with Connor for his senior year hunting trip. Prayers. They're they're having a great time right now. They're they're communing with the Lord in the wilderness at this moment. If you say a prayer for my uh, my wife and my daughter right now. Last week, my wife had to stay home with our youngest, who is sick, and this week, she's got to stay home with our oldest, who is sick, and so it's making things fun here, but uh, I'm so grateful to get a chance to be here together, and there's a lot, have you noticed, there's a lot going on in the desert this weekend, the National Pickleball Tournament was here in Indian Wells this weekend, Starbucks yesterday was annoyingly busy. Because there were so many people there for the pickleball tournament. And our very own James Hammond and Todd Doherty got first place for their division. Pretty awesome. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot going on here in town. But uh, uh, if you are visiting with us, I want to welcome you. I know we got some people that are in from out of town, so glad to have you here. Uh, this is our third installment. You guys are just getting here. For our, our new series that we're doing on a book entitled Seven People Who Help You to Heaven. And the premise of this book, and the reason why we wanted to do this as a church, uh, is really that hopefully we've realized we need relationships to help us be righteous. Right? That if, that if you're here, if you want to get to heaven, you know that you're not going to do it on your own. You know, and even if maybe this is your first time back to church in a while, you might be realizing, man, I really do need some help. I need some people in my life if I'm going to make it. You know, in the first sermon I did a couple of weeks ago, I used an analogy here. This is from the this is the guy who broke the uh, the two hour marathon mark. Uh, but I used the analogy that, that that getting to heaven is like a race, right? The Bible refers to this a couple different times, and and really the road to heaven, the race to heaven is our race to run, but it's a race that requires relationships to finish. You know, this guy, Kipchoge, that broke the two-hour uh, two marathon mark, he did it with, with uh, over 41 runners, world-class runners, that ran with him to help him to make it across the finish line. It was only in that last, you can see some of them in the background there, the last mile they hung back and let him finish it on his own. But, uh, but they ran with him in front of him and around him the entire time. That's very similar to our journey to heaven. We need these relationships. And in the book that, uh, that we're going through, Sam Lang illustrates that really there are seven different types of people that we need in our lives if we're going to make it to that final day. And the truth is that only one person was ever all seven of these things. One person. Jesus was the only one that was ever all seven. Right? It's not you. It's not me. And you know, some of us, maybe we are more than one quality. You're not just one of these things. You're Two, three, maybe you're an overachiever and you're four of these things. But none of us are all of them. And what that means is that we need more people in our lives to help us. And I want to encourage you. I know I did this a couple weeks ago, but I want to encourage you as we're going through this together. In your notes, and hopefully you're taking notes, amen. That you even write down, as we go through each quality of, of a person, that you write down names of people who have either been that person for you or you think could be that person for you. Because we need these roles in our lives. And if you don't have them, you probably need some help to figure out how to find them. Alright? Last week Scott did a great job. He preached on, uh, he preached on our first real trait, which was the visionary. 
And the, the things to kind of remember from that, that time last week were that a visionary, the goal of a visionary really in our lives is it's somebody that helps us to see outside of ourselves. They see what God sees, sometimes in, oftentimes in us. They see the bigger picture of how we can be a part of God's bigger, bigger picture, bigger story. And these are some of the things that he brought up, that they, a visionary will see with eyes of faith. They see with imagination, right? God, God, God loves imagination. Uh, but they also, visionaries inspire us. As if, and if that's you, if you're naturally just somebody that, that is a visionary, we need you. We're grateful for you. If that's not you, you need this in your life. Somebody that helps you to see what God sees and beyond yourself. Um, God is a visionary, and he uses these kinds of people to help us think more with God's view and not our own. You know, I wrote down a list of seven people last week that are visionaries in my life that help me to get outside of my box. You know, I, I like to think of sometimes I'm in a place that I am a visionary, but a lot of times I need help to be a visionary. But I was able to share with a lot of them last week and just thank them for being that role in my life. And that's several of you even here in this room. But today we're going to be talking about the second type of person that helps us to get to heaven. And that is the prophet. We're going to say a prayer and then we're going to go ahead and, and jump in here. Father, I just want to thank you so much. Thank you, God, that, that, that on the journey to heaven you give us these relationships to help us get there. God, I thank you that even as Jessica shared in her communion about how our best efforts to be Jesus are always going to fall short. And part of even what we need with that is I need people who represent these qualities of Jesus in my life. And I pray, Father, that you help uh, open up our hearts, our minds, get us ready for your word here as we dig into this together. Uh, I thank you so much for, uh, for tonight. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So I want to clarify here that when we're talking about a prophet... We've got to get outside of our probably Old Testament view of being a prophet. Right? When I said that, you're probably thinking like, oh, Daniel and all these other people in the Old Testament, they got direct views from God, they could see the future sometimes, and all that. That's not quite what we're talking about here. Now, when we think about uh, a prophet, actually how Sam defines a prophet in the book, is it's someone who calls you to the word and will of God, even when it is difficult for you to hear. They tell you the truth even when it hurts. All of us can be this for each other at different times. You know, if you're a disciple of Jesus, a prophet is probably somebody that helped you get here. Right? And really, if you look at even the Old Testament prophets, this is what they did too. Um, you know, in the New Testament, in Ephesians 4, when, he's talk, when, when Paul is talking about the bigger picture of the church, in verse 15... He describes these kinds of people, these, these truth-tellers, and what they need to be in the church. It says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Paul is saying, in God's church, we need prophets. We need people. We need to be people, and we need to have people in our lives that lovingly speak the truth to us. Now, that is the key thing about this, right? When he says speak the truth, there's a lot of ways you can say the truth that aren't loving. And so speaking the truth in love is a very important caveat for this relationship. But at the same time, we need to speak the truth. And Paul is saying, what Paul literally is saying here is that this is essential to us being more like Christ. 
prophets help us to be more like Jesus. And the role of a prophet is so key in our lives. Because I don't know if you figured this out yet, but you're a sinner. And so am I. We battle with being struggle bears, sinful Sallies, prideful Pauls, emo Eeyores, limping Lindas, critical Charlies, and my personal least favorite, lukewarm Hot Pockets. And nobody wants to eat that. Because the reality is, and you're, and that, you're going to walk away from this sermon and that's all you're going to remember is lukewarm Hot Pockets. Darn it, messed up. All right. But the truth is, is it's because we get sidetracked in life. We're drawn to things that damage us. We're prone to the deceit of our hearts and emotions. We lean towards complacency and stagnation. We're deliberately sinful. We're deceitfully sinful. And we're also very notoriously selfish creatures. We need people in our lives that speak the truth to us and help us get regrounded in God and in the truth. Amen? I'm going to show you this really cool prayer in Psalm 141 in the, in the uh, NLT version. David is praying here and he says, and he says Don't let, let me drift toward evil or take part in acts of wickedness. Don't let me share in the, del- the delicacies of those who do wrong. Let the godly strike me. It will be a kindness if they correct me as soothing medicine. Do not let me refuse it. But I pray constantly against the wicked and their deeds. David is praying about these types of people. About prophets. I don't know if any of you have ever been bold enough to pray something like this. I challenge you in your quiet time tomorrow morning, tell God, God help righteous people to strike me. You'll get people lining up. But David was saying, he's saying, you know, the protection against me, the protection against my sinful nature, that that part of me that drifts towards evil, the way that I get protected from that is someone who knows how to speak the truth. Even when it hurts. The thing about this type of person and the kind of relationship that we have with a prophet is really that we have a difficult time with the truth, don't we? Take a second. You can read it. Do you get it? No? Okay, then it's just not funny to you. Fine, we're moving on. Okay, so he's holding... If you don't know the show, it's probably not as funny to you. But he's holding a multivitamin that's like this big. And he said, I need somebody to be here to help me take this because it's a choking hazard. And he's saying the truth... Is a choking hazard. There you go. The joke's always funnier when you have to explain it, right? Yeah, okay. All right, moving on. So, whether it be scriptures that, that, that prophets will share with us, whether it be something that you're doing that's the truth, something about your character that's the truth, the reality is truth is not relative to your circumstances or emotional state. Right? It can't be the truth if it's dependent on how you feel. You might have heard the phrase, facts don't care about your feelings. Right? In Proverbs 27, verse 6, Solomon even describes this kind of a relationship. It says, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. You can surround yourself with people that tell you everything that you want to hear about how great you are, how special you are, and there's nobody like you. That doesn't mean they care about your soul. A real friend, a prophet, is somebody that knows what you need to hear. 
Notice how to say it with love. You know, when he's describing this here, he's not describing somebody that tears you down. You think wounds, that's, that's kind of a trigger word, right? But it's not thinking about somebody that tears us down, bullies us, beats us up emotionally, but a real friend who cares enough about your soul to tell you what you need to hear, not just what you want to hear. In that psalm scripture that we just read, David is praying to God and he says, please God, help me not refuse this. Because none of us really likes this. Today we're going to look at two Old Testament stories. We're actually going to look at some legitimate Old Testament prophets. But we're going to draw from this. And I want you to pay close attention to the prophets. I want you to think about how they spoke the truth to the people. To examples about how we need to speak the truth. But also the people that were listening to the truth. We're going to do some reading. So I want you to go ahead and get your Bibles out. 1 Kings chapter 22. Now I'm going to get a drink of water. All right. Starting in verse 1, it reads, For three years there was no war between Aram and Israel. But in the third year, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went down to see the king of Israel. The king of Israel had said to his officials, Don't you know that Ramoth Gilead... Bring, belongs to us, and yet we are doing nothing to retake it from the king of Aram? So he asked Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to fight against Ramoth Gilead? Jehoshaphat replied to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. But Jehoshaphat also said to the king of Israel, First, seek the counsel of the Lord. It's a good idea, right? So the king of Israel brought together the prophets, about 400 men, and asked them, Shall I go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? Go, they answered, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. But Jehoshaphat asked, Is there no longer a prophet of the Lord here whom we can inquire of? The king of Israel answered Jehoshaphat, I love this, There is still one prophet through whom we can inquire of the Lord, but I hate him, because he never prophesies anything good about me, but always bad. He is Mechaiah, son of Imla. I practiced that name, so I'm right. right. The king should not say a thing. Say such a thing, Jehoshaphat replied. So the the king of Israel called out one of his officials and said, Bring bring Mechaiah, son of Imla, at once. Dressed in their royal robes, the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, were sitting in their thrones at the threshing floor by the entrance of the gate of Samaria, with all the prophets prophesying before them. Now Zedekiah, son of Kenaniah, or, yes, Kananah, sorry, had made iron horns and he declared, this is what the Lord says. With those, you, you will gore the Arameans until they are destroyed. All the other prophets were prophesying the same thing. Attack Ramoth Gilead and be victorious, they said, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. The messenger who had gone to summon Micaiah said, said to him, look, the other prophets, without exception, are predicting success for the king. Let your word agree with theirs and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, as surely as the Lord lives, I can only tell him, I can tell him only what the Lord tells me. When he arrived, the king asked him, Micaiah, should we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or not? Attack and be victorious, he answered, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. The king said to him, how many times must I make you swear to tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Then Micaiah answered, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, these people have no master. Let each one go home in peace. 
The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, didn't I tell you that he never prophesies anything good about me, but only bad? Mechaiah continued, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the multitudes of heaven surround, standing around him on his right and his left and his left. And the Lord said, who will entice Ahab into attacking Ramoth Gilead going into his death there? One suggested this and the other that. Finally, a spirit came forward, stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. By what means, the Lord asked, I will go out by being and be a deceiving spirit in the mouths of all of his prophets, he said. You will succeed in enticing him, said the Lord. Go and do it. So now the Lord has put a deceiving spirit into the mouths of all these prophets of yours. The Lord has decreed disaster for you. Then Zedekiah, son of Kenanah, I messed that one up big time. All right, here we go. Went, and, went up and slapped Mechaiah. Now I got it all messed up. Okay, let's try that again. Went up and slapped Mechaiah in the face. Which way did the spirit from the Lord go when he went from me to speak to you, he asked. Mechaiah replied, you will find out in the day you go, hide, you go to hide in an inner room. The king of Israel then ordered, take Mechaiah and send him back to Ammon, the ruler of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, this is what the king says. Put this fellow in prison and give him nothing but bread and water until I return safely. Mechaiah declared, if you ever return safely, the Lord has not spoken through me. Then he added, mark my words, all you people. All right, we'll stop there. A lot going on there. I love this story, though. This story is just downright funny to me. So Ahab, King Ahab of Israel, wants to go to war to reclaim the land that technically belongs to the Israelites. So he goes and grabs Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. But Jehoshaphat's a wise and spiritual man. And he says, look, if we're going to go to war, we better make sure God is behind what we're doing. Right? If you're going to go to war, you probably want to make sure God's on your side. And the truth is, in going into our lives, you know, whenever we're doing anything significant in our lives, it's probably important to make sure that God is behind what we want to do. Right? From the big stuff like our careers, where we're going to work, big purchases, college and your future, relationships, raising kids, to even things like maybe vacations, budgets, schedules, and biblical questions. Getting advice is not just a good idea, it's a necessity. So what Ahab does is he brings in 400 of his prophets. And they're all yes men. They all say exactly what he wants to hear. It's like Michael Jordan. If you didn't know this, the reason why Michael Jordan will never win a championship as an owner is because all the personnel he surrounds him with are people who agree with him all the time. They've actually done a study on this. All right? But Jehoshaphat is a spiritual guy again, and he sees right through this. And he says, these guys, these 400 people that are all saying the same thing, they're not telling you the truth. Just because there's a large crowd of people saying the same thing doesn't mean it's the right thing. And doesn't mean it's from God. The Bible actually warns about this. Several times throughout, even in the New Testament, it says, test the spirits. Just because you're hearing what you want to hear doesn't mean it's what God wants. If you want to do something bad enough, though, I can guarantee you there are people that you can find to tell you you should do it. Or you can go on the Internet and it won't take you very long. You'll find some message board somewhere that says, yeah, go for it. And so Jehoshaphat goes, man, there's got to be somebody. There's got to be at least one 
that's going to speak the truth. But I love what I, I just I love what Ahab says. He's like, yeah, there's one guy, but I can't stand this dude because he always tells me things I don't want to hear. Right? That probably tells you a lot more about Ahab, which yeah, he was not a, not a good king, than it is about Micaiah. But so because of that, Ahab specifically didn't invite this guy to the party. You notice that? He had to go get him. No, 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 let's, let's just try to talk to my guys first. They'll, they'll all agree with us that this is a good idea. You know, oftentimes, we know the people in our lives that are going to tell us the truth. We know the people that are going to tell us what's right and not necessarily what we want to hear. But our nature, when we're not wanting to be righteous or humble, is to avoid these people. Just like Ahab did. Right? He's like, okay, I know who's going to tell me yes, but this one guy, uh, he's not coming. Until Jehoshaphat busted him. You know, I've shared many times about him. I know some of you know who he is. Steve Lounsbury has been a leader in, uh, in, our, uh, in our church for a long time. And Steve was this kind of a guy for me for a good chunk of my life. When I first moved back to California, I knew Steve was going to tell me what I needed to hear. Whether it be about Something in my sinful nature, something about my character weaknesses, which I had a lot in college, particularly. Um, oftentimes, I just tried to do my best to avoid Steve. Even when I, was, when I needed to get open, I needed to confess sin, something that I knew I was in the wrong with, I would find people that weren't Steve to go and confess to, because I knew they were probably going to... Tell me it was going to be okay. And not really what was going to challenge my heart. And for a good chunk of my college life, this was a battle that I had to fight regularly. Until finally, like, I don't remember what it was, but it finally clicked with me. It's like, the reason I'm avoiding him is because he's going to tell me what God needs to tell me. I'm running from the truth because I don't really want to hear it. And the truth is, even now I'm still tempted with this. But luckily, as I've grown as a Christian, I realize, man, if I'm tempted to want to avoid talking to this person, it's probably because I need to talk to this person. And so the messenger here in this story tells them when he goes to pick Mechaiah up, he says, hey, look, everybody else said this. Just go ahead and agree with them. Make your life easier. But his answer, I love what he says. He says, look, I can only tell him what God wants me to tell him. Amen. I'm going to speak the truth no matter what the rest of these guys are saying. People who live by the truth and carry God's wisdom tend to often be in the minority. And when he gets there, his response, I don't know if he caught his response, it's kind of sarcastic. I read, I read several, uh, several commentaries on this because I wanted to make sure I, was just, I wasn't reading this weird. But it's like he's saying, like, all right, fine, you want me to be a yes man? Yeah, sure, go to war, and it'll work out like everything else. He's like, all right, you want me to be a yes man? I'll tell you what you want to hear. And I love, I love the king's response. He tells him what he wants to hear. He's like, can't you just tell me the truth already? Can't you just tell me the bad news? Just go ahead and give it to me. 
And he tells them the bad news and he even goes even further. He's like, look, God even allowed a deceitful spirit to be among you to tell you what you wanted to hear because you didn't want to hear the truth. And it says one of his prophets smacks him upside the face after this. <laughs> yeah, being a, being a prophet is a fun job sometimes. But basically he's telling them, look, if you go to war, it's going to be the end of you. Your life is over. So because Ahab is prideful and he doesn't want to listen to the truth, he decides to go to war anyways. Matter of fact, he does it in a clever way. If you read the part after that, it says that he disguises himself. He doesn't actually go into the battle. He hangs in the back in disguise, and it says a random arrow gets shot through the air and kills him. Because, again, you can't run from the truth. So what do we see here? Being willing to tell the truth to someone comes with a risk. The truth of the matter is here, this, this guy, this prophet coming to the king, he was risking a lot by not being a yes man. I mean, he got thrown in jail, but he could have been killed. There was a lot that came with that. Sometimes telling the truth to people, it comes with risk. It comes with relational risk. It comes with, man, I don't know how they're going to take this. But the truth is, the greater risk is being prideful to the truth either by not seeking the truth from God or in the Word, or not getting help from godly people who care about you and care about your soul. To live resistant to the truth and profits in our lives is to risk damaging our lives and you risk losing out on heaven. That's what this is all about, right? All this is about the road to get to heaven. And God is saying, we need these types of people. And if you run from them, you may not make it. Are you resistant to prophets telling you the truth? This is a soul-searching question for all of us. Do I resist people telling me the truth? Either by not looking for it, being too prideful to talk to, or what? But I want to contrast this. I want to end on the good note. I want to look at another story in the Old Testament for contrast. Okay? Second Samuel, just one book of the Bible over. All right, you with me? All right, I want to remind you. Saying like, yeah, come on, that's not for me. That's for you. Stay in it with me. All right, let's do this. Okay? So I'm going to give the background here while you guys are turning, turning over there. So this is the story of King David. This is after he had committed arguably the most grievous sin in the entire Bible. It's still, when I, when I process this sometimes, it's a little hard for me to swallow. The man after God's own heart, chosen by God, committed arguably the worst sin in the Bible. He had slept with one of his mighty man's wife, got her pregnant, lied about it, tried to cover it up. When he couldn't cover it up, had the guy killed, married her to try to pretend like nothing happened. Now, when you close your eyes and think man after God's own heart, that's probably not what you think of. Right? He just committed the most grievous sin in the Bible. And you know what? He wasn't talking about it. Nobody knew about what was going on, but God knew. So what God did is he sent, he sent a prophet named Nathan. He sent a man that David trusted 
and respect it. Just chapters before this, Nathan had been the one to deliver the prophecy to David that said, one of your descendants will be on the throne of God's kingdom forever, leading into Jesus. So he gave him good news. Nathan was a guy that, that, that David trusted. So he shows up to David, and he starts by telling him a story. Tell him a story about two men, a rich man with a lot of flock and, one, and, a, and a poor man who only had one sheep. He said the rich man had a friend that came into town, and he wanted to cook him a meal, but instead of using his own sheep, he went ahead and killed the sheep of the poor man, the one sheep, for himself. And David gets all bent out of shape, like, this man should die. He should, go to, he should go to prison and all these different things. Gets all worked up. And Nathan goes, that's you. You're the man. You're the man you condemn. We're going to pick up here in verse 11. After he tells him everything that God saw with Uriah and Bathsheba, in verse 11 he says, This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. And he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But because, but because by doing this, you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. I don't know how you feel reading that, but that was a pretty rough talk. When you think of opportunities to tell the truth to someone, this probably doesn't come in your list of top ten. And Nathan had a lot to lose in this conversation. He was challenging the king on his sin and deceit. Okay, think about any leader. Let's not even go all the way up to the present. Let's think about any leader of significance or consequence. The, the manager at your job. You being the one to walk up to him and say, I know what you did because God told me. And this is what happened. Then he had to tell him not just what he had done, bust him on his sin. Then he had to tell him the consequences of his sin. His consequences were that his wives were going to be taken from him. Consequences were the son that he had birthed out of wedlock, or that they, that they had conceived out of wedlock, was going to die. Nothing about this talk was fun. He was risking everything. But what I love about this is that Nathan loved David and he loved God enough to have this conversation with him. This is speaking the truth in love. As harsh and heavy as this conversation was, this is what it means to speak the truth in love. It's to know you are going to ruin your life your marriage, you're going to ruin Israel to continue like this. You have to change. This is the kind of love that we need to have for each other. Where we see the danger in each other's lives and we care enough to speak up, share the Bible and share what we see. I am so grateful 
for the people in my life that have the courage to speak up to me. I wrote down several examples that popped up to mind. I had a friend years ago when I was in college who wasn't a Christian. When I, was doing, when I did not want to be close to God, I was in all kinds of sin. He basically told me, dude, you're going to ruin your life if you continue down this road. The men throughout my life who have challenged me about my purity and my struggles with pornography and women, that have told me, you're, you're going to ruin your marriage You're going to ruin any desire of God to use you if you want to be in the ministry one day. You're going to ruin your life if this doesn't change. Our brother John Mantle, who was an elder out here for several years, told me when I was on the fence about where my relationship with Kelsey was, I was really afraid of a lot of things and I wanted to call it off. He challenged me. He said, look, you have, she has so much more to lose by moving across the country to try this out than you do. You owe it to her to stop being selfish. Thank God for that conversation because I might not be married. My mother-in-law, when we were having trouble disciplining our oldest, our oldest daughter, we were in all kinds of struggles, feeling helpless and hopeless. She had been telling us over and over again to read this book, Shepherding a Child's Heart, that would help us with disciplining our child. And we would fought her and resisted and resisted and resisted and resisted until finally we were like, about to break down on this phone call, and she said, just please read the book. It's going to help you. We finished it, and we were like, oh. And it changed the way we discipline our children. My sister-in-law, who moved back here from China, she speaks the truth to me. I'm grateful for her. There are times whether it be my attitude towards my wife, whether it be my attitude in general, where she calls me out. My wife, my greatest prophet in my life. <laughs> regularly helps me to think more godly. I need, and I needed these people at different key points in my life. You know, the other side of this story, and part of why the story is so awesome was David's humility to listen. As you can imagine, this was not an easy truth to swallow. To hear your own sin in that kind of a way. To face the reality of knowing you just devastated a family. Possibly your kingdom and your own family. To own the consequences of his sin and to choose repentance. This story right here, this moment of David coming, into, coming in contact with somebody who was willing to speak the truth to him ended up becoming one of the most defining moments in his life. I've read stuff that even suggests that maybe when God said he saw a man after God's own heart in David, that it was after this that he was referring to. His repentance opened up the door for his son Solomon to be on the throne. His repentance confirmed his lineage. He became the great, 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 great grandfather of the Messiah. But what if Nathan didn't speak up? What if Nathan gave in to fear? Didn't tell David the truth? What if we beat around the bush? 
He didn't come at it, come right at his heart the way that he did. What if he just kind of tried to talk around it? What if David had responded like Ahab? What if he said, you only tell me bad news? Who do you think you are? I'm the king. God used Nathan to save his soul and alter the course of his family. If any of us have any hope of being like Jesus, if any of us have any hope of making it to heaven, or seeing any important area of your life go well, if you want the important areas of your life to go well, your marriage, your parenting, your career, your future, we need prophets who will speak the truth to us. We need to be prophets for each other. I have some takeaways for us to consider. Number one, speak. What I mean by that is speak the truth in love. When Paul wrote that to, in, to the church in Ephesus in, in chapter 4, he wasn't talking to a specific group of people. He was saying, as God's people, we need to speak the truth in love to each other. To just say it's none of my business or whatever, that's not being a part of a family. That's not going to be people that helps us get to heaven. We need the truth. Number two, seek. Seek God and the truth in the word and in prayer, but also seek out prophets. Be looking for people in your life that will speak the truth to you. I know it hurts sometimes. I know it's not fun. But those conversations that I look back on in my, in my years as a Christian have been some of the most pivotal, life-changing moments. And in Proverbs, it talks about giving a life-giving rebuke. That's what a lot of those conversations were for me. But I want you to think, who are these people in your life? If you can't, in very quick timing, think of people that speak the truth and love to you, then you need help. You need to get help. And they can come in all shapes and sizes. You want success in life? You want healthy relationships? You want to have a great marriage or great romantic relationships? You need prophets. Teens, you want college to go well? You want to have good friendships? You need prophets who can help you to do that. And the last one, listen. Be humble enough to listen to what people are trying to help you with. Invite it. You know, the truth is, like, like what David prayed about, he said, God, please help me not refuse this. You know why? Because even the man after God's own heart struggled with wanting to listen to the truth. I'm going to close with this story. When I was about 18 years old, I was at a baptism. And uh, we were at a community pool somewhere and stuff, and there was a cat that happened to be wandering around. And cats are just, they're gross, they're evil. Just, okay. Satan was a cat. Okay, that's he's described as a cat in the Bible. So repent and get him out of your house. Um, as you can tell, I have very fond feelings of cats. But there was, a, there was about a 10-year-old girl in our church that was over there trying to like, get its attention and play with it. And me and another boneheaded 18-year-old decided that we were going <laughs> to scare the cat off. Ran off. The girl was like, what? No. Like, like freaked out. Okay, I stood up laughing and giggling because we're morons. And, uh, and I had this brother grab me by the shoulder, whip me around, 
point his finger at my chest and he said, what part of the character of God would make you treat an animal that way? I was breathless. I was like, I, I had nothing to say. He walked, he walked away and me and the other guy looked at each other like, did that just happen? Over a cat? Now, as funny as this story is, that moment actually meant a lot to me. First of all, that he was bold enough to get in my face like that over something that you could say is pretty trivial in the grand scheme of things. But you know what that conversation did for me? You know why I still remember it to this day? Not because of how unique it was, because of what he said. He said, what part of the character of God would make you want to do this? I've never forgotten that. Not about animals. Forget that. Again, I don't really care about cats. I won't scare them off or kick them or kill them. But, but he helped me to really think beyond myself at that moment to go, okay, if I'm supposed to be living like Jesus, I need to consider if this is of the character of God. If how I'm living is of the character of God. If I had been prideful in that moment, said, it's a stupid cat, get off my back. Which I could have done. It was kind of silly. He actually laughed later on when I told him thank you for that. It was like a week or so later. I was like, hey, bro, I wanted to thank you for that conversation. He was like, yeah, that was pretty crazy, huh? <laughs> but, but I told him, you know, I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for helping me to think more about what godly men would be like. And the truth is, even in a conversation like that, if you listen, if you listen to the prophets that are in your life, it can alter the course of your life forever. I'm going to close in a word of prayer. And then Darren's going to come up and close out our service. Father, I just want to thank you so much. Thank you, God, that you, you allow us to have people who speak the truth to us in our lives. Thank you, God, that you don't leave us uh, in our own messes, that, that you love us enough to have people that will speak the truth to us. And I pray, Father, that we will be humble enough to listen, that we'll be grateful for the people that speak the truth to us. And I know that this is a part of the journey to maturity and this, is the part, uh, and this is a part of the journey that leads us to heaven. And I pray that we will not miss this. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.